1 Corinthians 13. Somebody's got to tell me how to cut this thing off because she does this to me on occasion. Um, I didn't ask you to find anything. <sighs> Weird. Um, we've been talking in Matthew, Mark 11 rather, we've been going through, we, there's three sections. We saw missing fruit about the fig tree and how it relates to Israel. Uh, mystical fraud. Uh, this is a religious, religious system that's not at all what it should be. And then tonight, we were supposed to look at mountain-moving faith, and I have, I've pushed that off for a week. I am convinced I'm missing something in that passage. I have been laboring over that passage for more than a week now, and I'm just, I'm not ready to bring it to you because I'm convinced there's something there, but anytime you see something that other people don't mention, usually that means you're wrong. But I, I've, I've got to make a couple of phone calls. I've got some guys I knew in college and professors in college that understand Greek better than I do. I've got, got to make some phone calls. And, and I, 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 right up until this morning, I labored in this passage, and I finally gave up and said, I'm gonna, if the Lord will help me, I'm going to go in a different direction just for tonight. So we'll be back, Lord willing, to that next week. For tonight, I wanted to take a, side, a sidebar to 1 Corinthians 13 beginning in verse number one. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. In verse number 8, it is very, very clear that God's intention for the sign gifts was that they eventually go away. They eventually go away. As we get closer to the completion of the Word of God, you see the use of sign gifts like tongues and words of knowledge and so forth fading out. Because once you have the Word of God, you don't need any other sign gifts. The Word of God is your authority. Um, verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but then, face to face, now I know in part. But then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Father, would you help us as we Examine this chapter. Help me to be 
one that rightly divides your word of truth, and may we just glean from your word tonight. May we leave here filled, encouraged, edified. May Christ be lifted up in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. This is the great chapter on love. You see it hanging in newlyweds' homes. You see it taught about in weddings and premarital counseling. In fact, I do when I do premarital counseling, I, it's six sessions of an hour apiece, and uh, one session deals with this chapter and its place in a, in a marriage. Um, one of the sad things about, sad's too strong a word, mildly unfortunate, is some of the chapter divisions that exist in our Bible. You understand that chapter and verse divisions weren't inspired. That's something that was added later to help us find portions of Scripture. It's not a bad thing. We thank the Lord for it. But sometimes uh, sometimes um, they're not divided correctly. And I think in this case we see that. At the very least, chapter 12, verse 31, it should be part of this discussion. But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. What is that more excellent way? It's love. Love. This, of course, this word charity comes from the same Greek word that is very often translated love. And the application of love and charity in a Christian's life is not meant to be what we do but rather who we are. John Phillips wisely said that this is less about gifts and more about grace. The word charity represents the highest form of love. We've mentioned this before. You have four words in Greek that are, that are used for love. Two of them appear in the New Testament. Uh, the first is eros, which is physical love. Um, if I could put it bluntly, it's smooching. Does that have a role to play in a good godly marriage? Absolutely. Does that have a role to play outside of a good godly marriage? No. Teenagers, they're all gone and don't hear me. All right. All right. That's good in its place, but is it the highest form of love? No. Storge, which is a general term for compassion. Um, and, and, and the feelings that you have for something that doesn't belong to you, somebody else's kid or a puppy or something like that, that in your gut feeling you get when, oh, you know, that's storge love. There's actually a fifth word, thello, but it's, it's not worth talking about. Um, phileo, which is familial love. Um, the city of brotherly love is Philadelphia, Okay. Um, and then agape, that's God's love. That is a self-sacrificing love that it's, it's a matter of the will. There's no emotional component to it. It's a decision to love no matter what. And that's what's being talked about here is agape love. By the way, almost without exception, it's just a handful of exceptions in John's gospel and his epistles and revelation. When you see the word love, it's agape. There's a couple of exceptions, but not many. This highest form of love. Jesus said this, 
A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another. As I have loved you that ye also love one another. Now our King James translators use the word charity and they did so to underscore the willful and giving nature of this type of love. Okay, And it's, it's a correct use of the word. But you'll forgive me if sometimes I say love as opposed to charity. The Corinthian church thought that they were a church of love, but they were wrong. They were more a church of lust. And by the way, lust does not have to be tied to the sexual. Lust is any time you desire something outside of God's boundaries. You can lust over money. You can lust over fame and fortune. You can lust for power. And Corinth was full of a lot of lust, but not much love. You see, love looks outward and upward, but lust looks inward. And most loveless churches don't know it. They think that they have it. If you'd have went to the Ephesian church in the time of John, they would have told you, of course, we love people. We're a church of love. And yet Jesus very clearly in Revelation 2, verse 1 under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my namesake has labored and has not fainted. Hey, Ephesus, you've been doctrinally sound. You've stood for what's right. You've stood against what was wrong. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And so it's good for us to take some time tonight and, and be reminded about the role that love plays in the life of a Christian individually, in our families, and in our churches corporately. So we begin, first of all, with charity characterized. Paul characterizes what real love, what real charity is in verses 4 through the first part of verse number 8. So let's begin with verse number 4. First of all, wrong one, sorry. I'm getting used to my new clicker. It says, charity suffereth long. That means it's not short-tempered. It doesn't fly off the handle. Now, those of us especially that are married, this might be a difficult stretch here. Because there are times that I'll just tell you, I am short-tempered. Now, that's not saying that you know, I'm the worst husband ever walked the planet, but it does say that my love is not all it should be if I am. And by the way, it's not just being short-tempered with our spouse, it's being short-tempered with anybody. Real love is not short-tempered. It suffereth long. It's kind. That literally means it's not coarse. It's smooth. It's gentle. Man, I want to just sit on all of these, but we're not going to get through it if we don't, if I don't move on. It envieth not. It's content. It's content. Brother Earl rolls up in here one day in a brand spanking new vehicle of some sort. I look at Crystal and I say, Psh, what the world's he doing with that? 
Meanwhile, I'm riding around in my equinox. What does that display? It displays a lack of contentment. God's been better to me than I deserve. I don't deserve an equinox. If I got what I deserved, I'd have to roll in here on a red rider wagon. A radio flyer, that's what it is, a radio flyer wagon. That's what I should be coming in on. God's been good to me. Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be what? Content. It vaunteth not itself. It's not outwardly braggart. I'm not a fan of the New York Yankees, not even a little bit. I'm not, well, I'm not going to go that far. I was about to just wax eloquent on that. But They've got a guy on there that has hit 60 home runs. His name is Aaron Judge. And Aaron Judge is about 6 foot 1,000 inches. I mean, this guy is big. Let me tell you what I appreciate about Aaron Judge. He's hit 60 home runs. He's very likely going to be the MVP of the AL this year. And when he hits them, you know what he does? He drops his bat and he runs the bases with his head down. I have grown weary of all this flip the bat and and all that. Hey, fellas, you hit a home run, that's what they pay you to do. Guys get a sack in football and they're all, "Ah, that's what you're supposed to do. What would you think of me if I have a particularly good sermon in a given service and at the end I go, yeah! That would seem a bit out of place and inappropriate, would it not? You see, real love doesn't vaunt itself. It's not outwardly braggart. Look at me. But I'll tell you what else. It also isn't inwardly arrogant. It's not puffed up. Because there's people that maybe, maybe they're not outwardly braggart, but they're inwardly arrogant. And remember what our friend Adrian Rogers teaches us. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. What's inward will become outward. It's not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. It means it's not rude. Hey, Christians, we never have a good reason to be rude. Everybody's quiet. I've mentioned this before. I've been conducting an informal poll for years of food service workers. And I asked them this question. When's the worst, when is the worst group you deal with? Sunday afternoon. The church crowd. They're demanding, and their tips are non-existent. Please, I beg of you, and I don't think y'all have a problem with this. I have no reason to believe anybody here does. But if you're not going to be kind, if you're going to be rude, if you're going to leave a paltry tip, please, I beg of you, do not leave our church track. Don't. Leave rural retreats track, maybe, or leave somebody else's track, but do not leave ours. Christians ought to be known as the kindest, most generous people on the face of the planet. Well, Andy, I can't, I can't afford to leave a big tip. Okay, 
leave what you can, and just be overly kind. Have you ever, you ever been out to eat with somebody that, that was rude and you're just, you just wanted to crawl under the table? And Christians will not be rude to one another either. It's kind of tough for Wednesday night, isn't it? Seeketh not her own. means it's selfless. It's selfless. Real love is selfless. It's never about me. Most of you all will understand what I'm about to say. Outside of the spiritual implications of Christmas, the most fun that I have is watching my wife and kids open their presents. I'm not saying that I don't appreciate that I get presents too, but I just, I, I love watching them open their presents. Because real love does that to you. I have a real problem. I buy presents, I can't wait till the actual occasion. My wife has already got one of her anniversary presents. And that's not until October. I couldn't wait. I love it. I love it. By the way, our Heavenly Father's like that too. He gives us good gifts, and he rejoices in seeing us enjoy them. Selfless. Obviously, Jesus demonstrates all of these. Not easily provoked, not irritable, or enraged. Real love never has a day where you probably ought to just stay away from them. But we have those days, don't we? (laughs) <laughs> when we asked Miss Sandra if she'd be willing to help out in the office while Vicky was having surgery, she said, sure, I'd be glad to. And I said, now let me just tell you, there are days that when I walk in, you will just know, leave me alone to study because I've just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And I apologize in advance for that. Vicky knows how to handle me. And Sandra has learned. Because sometimes I can get a little bit irritable. And it's usually Crystal's fault. No. And we all have those days and those moments, don't we? But real love isn't irritable. It's not easily provoked. You know what else? It thinketh no evil. That's an interesting phrase because what it actually means is not grudge prone. You know, forgiving real forgiveness is not that you forget an offense. It's that you don't keep bringing it up. Because people say, well, you don't really forgive unless you forget. That's just not true. That's just not true. We don't have it in us to, for, to forget things like that. Now, we serve a God that does. God can will himself to forgive offenses, can he? And to forget them? Sure he can. But we can't. We still remember. But we don't keep bringing it up. I tell in, in premarital counseling, I tell them, that means, you, what, what literally we're talking about is you don't keep lists. And every time you get in a fight, yeah, well, you remember when you did this 17 years ago? No. Don't do that. Because real love, charity thinketh no evil. It's not grudge prone. It rejoiceth not in iniquity. It doesn't justify that which is wrong. But it does rejoice in truth. That means integrity. There's no deception. There's no guile. You ever known somebody with no guile? We just hired somebody like that. 
Foster, you're going to learn this about him. He has no guile. He just, he almost, when you talk to him, he's going to tell you exactly where he's at with no real nuance, you know? So if I say, Foster, I got to tell you, I don't feel like I'm looking that great today. No, not really. Thank you, Foster. But you know what? Somehow we got away from that. I'm not talking about being mean just to be mean to people. But, but if we're not careful, we can get real deceptive thinking that we're not being deceptive. Well, that wasn't technically a lie. If you have to say that about something, it was a lie. You know? Rejoicing in the truth is being somewhat of integrity. Uh, a... a a promise that I made to my wife when we got married. I said, I will fail you many times. I said, but if God will help me, I'll never lie to you. But by God's grace, as best I can remember, I never have. Now, there have been times I didn't tell her everything I knew. And as a pastor, you understand, there's sometimes I don't tell Crystal everything I know. Well. And there's times that you don't tell your loved ones everything you know. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about trying to be deceptive. Beareth all things, accepts responsibility. Well, what if it's not my responsibility? What does it say? Beareth all things. You know who comes to mind with that? Daniel. Daniel prayed an awful lot about sins that he didn't commit. But he prayed on behalf of his people. Job did that. Accepts responsibility. Fundamentally, anything that's wrong with this church, you know whose responsibility it is? Mine. Even if it's not. Even if it's not. Believeth all things. That doesn't mean gullible. It means you're full of faith. You just believe God. Hopeth all things. Optimistic. No, not, once again, not in a gullible way. But optimistic, you just believe in a God that can make a difference. By the way, you find that most often in somebody's prayer life. Endureth all things, they persevere. They stay at it. Boy, we got a lot of marriages that have lacked that, don't we? It says charity never faileth. That means there's no limits to it. What would make me stop loving? Nothing. Nothing. We sing about it. God's love never what? Never fails. So this is the characterization of charity. This is what we're talking about. But unfortunately, we see in the first three verses that charity can be circumvented. It can be circumvented. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity... I'm become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, which, by the way, is the sticky point in Mark 11 that I'm dealing with now. This is why I didn't bring this message tonight. Talking about faith that can move mountains. It's like when God laid this message on my heart, he said, oh, by the way, I'm not letting you completely away from this phrase. Though I have faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. 
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now listen to this. Whenever we attempt God's tasks without using God's tools, we are circumventing his will. When we attempt God's tasks without God's tools, we are circumventing his will. Have you ever been in a situation where you had a task that needed to be done and you didn't have the right tool and so you tried to make do with what you had? How many of us have used a butter knife as a screwdriver or the heel of a shoe as a hammer? Okay, You might can kind of get it done, but is it really getting done the way it needs to get done? No. You need the tools. Well, we've got Christians all over the place that they're trying to do the work of God, and they're leaving out one essential tool, and that's love. Paul outlines our futile efforts apart from charity. If we don't have any charity, first of all, our proclamations are fruitless. Our proclamations are fruitless. What does he say? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... Our oratory, our communication, our eloquence is absolutely useless without love. Loveless communication is doubly offensive. It's a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. First of all, that offends our senses, doesn't it? I mean, what if I just brought in some cymbals and just clanged them on the ground and hit them in in this real discordant way? That would be offensive to our, our senses. But you know what else? It's also offensive to our sanctification because these guys at Corinth would have understood that when Paul's talking about a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal, that is what most often was used in pagan rituals. Something interesting about Paul. 2 Corinthians 10.10, For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. Paul had a brilliant mind, but he wasn't necessarily the most striking figure. So what made Paul's contemptible speech so compelling? One word, love. We see it demonstrated in Acts 20, verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Y'all, it doesn't matter how good my outline is. It doesn't matter how good my delivery is. It doesn't matter how good the music is leading up to it. If we come at this thing without love, we are wasting our time. Without love, our proclamations are fruitless. You know what else? Our prophecy is fruitless too. Though I have the gift of prophecy, prophecy can best be understood with two definitions. The foretelling of God's word. We no longer have a foretelling of God's word because we have God's completed word. But the foretelling of God's word in a very, in a very black and white way. But another, another way that prophecy can be rendered is the ability to see divine truth. I'm going to give you three names. 
Two of these names were unsaved people. One of them was maybe saved. King Saul, Balaam, and Caiaphas. All three of them prophesied. Two of them certainly not saved, perhaps all three. Can I tell you, there have been some great messages preached by unsaved men. Because God blesses his word and blesses truth in spite of the vessel. Paul said about himself as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. You see, without love, a proclamation is fruitless and prophecy is fruitless. Our perception is fruitless. It says, though I understand all mysteries. Mystery is a truth concealed in Scripture that's later revealed. An example of that would be the church. You see the shadows of the church in the Old Testament, but it's revealed in the New Testament. It was a mystery. An insight into the deeper truths and hidden mysteries of God's Word, that's great, but without love, it's useless. Paul said this to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1 verse 3, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned from which some having swerved aside, which... From which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Without love, our proclamations are fruitless. Our prophecy is fruitless. Our perception is fruitless. You know what else? Our professionalism is fruitless. He said, though I understand all mysteries and all knowledge... Knowledge here is not intellectual knowledge, but experiential knowledge. It's knowledge that you've gained from being through some things. And professionals know a great deal about their area because they've worked in it. It goes beyond head knowledge. I'll give you an example. When I worked for Beringer Ingelheim, we had had guys like me were chemical technicians. We were called chemtechs. And I was only there a couple of years. Some of those guys had been there 20 and 30 years. And they, they, you know, got raises and even got, you know, promotions, but they stayed on the floor. They were chemtechs the whole career they were there. And they were considered, you know, the grunt labor of, of the, 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 the company. And then you had these chemists and engineers that would put together processes to make new drugs. And so they would put together these processes, and every once in a while, they would send it down to the chemtechs, and the chemtechs were the ones that would come back to them and say, this is all fine and good, but this won't work. Well, why not? The numbers add up, and I don't care what the numbers say, it won't work. Why? Because this machinery won't do this. And if you try to do this over here, instead of doing this over here, instead of a distillation, you're going to have condensation. You're going to have this, and you're going to have that. And and, and this is just going to blow the reactor completely up. See, it may look good on paper, but they needed to hear from the professionals, the people who had done the work 
I mean, some of y'all that have done this kind of work, you know that some of the best laid out schematics just don't make sense. They just don't work, you know. And, and so you professionals are people not just that are educated up here, they've done the work. And just because you know a lot and can do a lot doesn't make you effective. Professional athletes that are really good at playing sports often make terrible coaches. Michael Jordan was a terrible basketball coach. You know why? He could not process why these guys couldn't do what he did. Some, some of the most intelligent people, great scholars, are bad teachers. I had, I had a, a Greek professor in college. Guy was brilliant. When he came to church, if I'm lying, I'm dying, y'all. He came to church with his Greek New Testament and read it just like it was his English New Testament. Show off. And yet, candidly, I didn't do well in his class. Because he just could not understand why I couldn't pick up conjugations as quickly as he did. Brilliant man. It took a teacher of lesser intellectual ability to actually help me learn what I learned. Because he remembered what it was to struggle. I got a big long verse for that, but we're running out of time. No, I'm going to do it because I'm not leaving this alone. Our professionalism is fruitless without love. Luke 5, verse 1, it came to pass as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. Jesus stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. By the, but the fishermen were gone out of them, were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break these guys were professional fishermen that knew what they were doing but it wasn't until love showed up that anything got done i'm glad i didn't leave that out without love our power is fruitless he says though i understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though i have all faith so that i could remove mountains and have not charity i'm nothing Great persuasive power to perform great works is still reliant on love. Sensational activity does not imply the presence of a sanctified attitude. There's a whole lot of Christians that can put on a good show, but that doesn't mean God's in the middle of it. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. By the way, there's never a time that I read that passage that it doesn't send a little bit of a jolt into my heart. What, what do we see there? We see the presence of works, but the absence of love. Can I remind you that Judas did all the miracles that the other 11 did? I expect Judas was a pretty good preacher. 
God's sovereignty reserves the right to do great things in spite of not-so-great vessels. I've heard people say, God won't use an imperfect vessel. That's just not true. That's all he has to work with. He has no choice. We're all imperfect. Paul says, without charity, I am nothing. Without charity, our proclamation, our prophecy, our perception, our professionalism, our power, all that's useless. You know what else is fruitless? Our pity. Our pity. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. The Greek there implies a selfish action, a meager feeding bite by bite that accomplished two negative results. It unjustly soothed the conscience of the giver, and it creates dependence for the taker. Sounds like the government, doesn't it? This misapplication of charity only seems to benefit the giver and not the recipient. You contrast that with Mary in John chapter 12. She took that alabaster box and she busted that thing open. She gave Jesus everything. You know what else is fruitless? Without love is our pain. Somebody who lived a life of great pain. Oh, they're finally past their suffering. Only if love was there. Verse 3, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Even martyrdom is fruitless without love. All those guys that flew those planes into the Twin, into the twin Towers and, and uh, the Pentagon and hijacked the plane that crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, all of them were planning to be martyrs. Now you tell me, did they go to heaven? Why? The absence of the love that is Jesus Christ. On a smaller scale, some Christians thrive on being daily martyrs to some hardship. You ever known a Christian like that? They're just every day they're a martyr. Just had to give up so much for the Lord. It's just been so hard serving the Lord. Y'all pray for me. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for people that really do go through hard times. Absolutely we should. But some folks revel in martyrdom. And this is completely devoid of real charity. Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. When I come into a service like this, what I'm going through is irrelevant. It's what other people are going through. So we see that charity is, first of all, characterized, and it can be circumvented. But aren't you glad that charity can be chosen? And we see that in verse number 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I chose charity. You see, a child is a youngster, and in this particular case, it's a youngster that's not yet able to speak. What, what, what do we see in that? There's no effectual communication. 
When you've got a little baby that's not yet speaking, they can make all kinds of noise and they can make all kinds of babbles and they can make you smile and they can make you laugh, but there's really not much effective communication going on there. And that's a lot of Christians. We make all kinds of noise, but very little communication of real charity. But he says, I put away childish things. It implies a choice. When Paul grew up, he chose to put away his old childish ways. And one can grow physically but not mature inwardly. Have you ever known somebody that made it all the way to the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and they still were childish? Yeah. Henry Drummond wrote this in his work, The Greatest Thing in the World. You can take nothing greater to the heathen world than the impress and reflection of the love of God upon your own character. That is the universal language. It will take you years to speak in Chinese or in the dialects of India. From the day you land, that language of love, understood by all, will be pouring forth its unconscious eloquence. It is the man who is the missionary, not his words. His character is his message. And I say amen to that. So may the Lord, what's our so what tonight? May the Lord help us to make sure that everything we do is not just laced in love, but based in it. Does that mean that sometimes I have to preach hard messages that are mean? Yep, and so I should, so long as I do it in love. Does that mean sometimes we have to take a stand and put our foot down and say, this isn't right? Yep, but we can still do it in love. In fact, Paul said that, speaking the truth in love. The world's full of people that seek to love without truth. And there's a lot of people that seek to advance truth without love. May God help us to seek to advance the truth in love. Because without love, it's fruitless.